Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to the Doghouse, your meeting place to talk Mississippi State Bulldog Athletics here on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, David Murray, here with the Doghouse, a Monday morning edition. Let's call it our first overreaction Monday for Mississippi State. And boy, is there a lot to overreact to. The Diamond Dogs salvage a Sunday win to come out of it first weekend with a 1-2 and two record, losing a series to Long Beach State. Meanwhile, uh, both at home and on the road in a 72-hour period, Ben Howland's Bulldogs score two must-win, absolute must-win games over Missouri to get themselves back at least in some conversation for the NCAA tournament. That's, like I said, just a conversation. But, hey, better to be talked about at this point of the season with two weeks left in the regular schedule than to be dismissed entirely. We're going to start our talk today with baseball because it was opening weekend for the defending national champions, and it was not the kind of opening that the Diamond Dogs certainly wanted to put up, losing a couple of games there to a visiting Long Beach State. And let's say this, the the beach, the 49ers, the dirtbags, whatever you want to call them, they're an underrated team for sure. A bunch of veterans, the state saw them a couple seasons ago, they look better than just a top 25 team. And this is a club to watch over the course of the season for a lot of reasons. One, because, well, when you lose a series to a squad, you certainly want them to do well to help your RPI rating in NCAA terms. And second, you want to know that it was a good ball club. Now, does this make Mississippi State overrated already? Eh, maybe somewhat. But early season results in a good series are really risky almost as risky as trying to judge a team by early season statistics after three games. Now, we're going to talk a lot of numbers at this point, but let's let's be careful how we take those numbers and try to apply them to the rest of the season. The numbers that matter, of course, is one and two. Mississippi State is under 500. In fact, Chris Lamonis is under 500 for the first time after a series since he's been at Mississippi State. His first three years, he never dipped below break even. And that was last year in February when State split the first two games out of three and won the third one, obviously, out in Texas against national class competition. You know, there have been more than a few fans who've asked why start out with Long Beach State team. Uh, They haven't been in the College World Series for over 20 years, true, but they've been right on the fringes. They're a consistent regional team, and they're a California team, which means they're going to be full of good ballplayers. Well, they were. They had good right-handed pitching, all right-handed pitching, in fact, good enough offense. They made so many defensive plays in the first two games. He sat there and said, man, maybe we should borrow a couple of their middle infielders at least to um, try to play defense for the dogs at this point. But that's a good ball club. Now, is Mississippi State not a good ball club because they lost? No, I think this is still the makings of a good ball club, but the makings. And I emphasize that because Chris Lamonis and staff changed the batting order changed the lineup every day of the series. How much of this was early season experimenting? I don't think a lot. I think most of it was just trying to find someone, especially by Sunday, who could make good contact with a lot of those pitches that were sinking, that were moving. Saturday, what really jumped out at me was how many pitches you watch the replay or watch it live on the video monitor in the press box and just see the bat go right over the ball. That was some good right-handed pitching they saw, and they're going to see a lot of great right-handed pitching in the SEC, but more power than the movement that they faced out of the beach pitching staff. I still call them beach because that's official nickname for them. Call them what you want, 49ers, dirtbags, whatever, as we said. Anyway, Mississippi State's now under 500 for the first time in Lamonis' management. 
and the program, for that matter, the first time since March of 2018. We recall how that season began, whether we want to or not. We also recall how that season ended, and boy, do we usually love to do that because it was one of the most amazing finishes ever in Bulldog sports history, not just baseball, sports. In fact, I've got a piece written for what hopefully becomes eventually a book on Bulldog baseball calling 2018 the strangest season ever of all Bulldog sports I've covered in 40 years, if that's all you need to know. We certainly don't want the uh, radical dips and then recovery that that team had. But this first weekend uh, certainly has some fans dipping. Now, let's be fair. The second guessing of this team started, well, let's be honest, probably about two minutes before the first lineup was posted because everybody had their ideas of who should be batting, when and where. And remember, fans are always right. Always. Could you tell a little sarcasm? Never mind. Um, but it's true. There were some question marks about this offensive team coming in, and they've only been magnified by the first weekend results. No less than 17 dogs were able to get to bat. Now, some of that was the nature of two blowout games, one a win, one a loss. You start running guys out there at the end just to make something happen, or you run them out at the end just to get them a first at bat or two. You'd rather do it the latter way, but the fact is a whole lot of dogs got up to bat and there weren't a whole lot of results to show for it over the weekend. Now, let's also be clear, too, that State was not just destroyed, relatively speaking, on offense. In fact, the two teams were only nine batting points and three total base hits different through the three games. State struck out much less, although that's more of a comment about Bulldog pitching, which is excellent at times. Even the on-base rates were not that far apart. What really made the margins was something that doesn't show on the stat sheet. It was the simple timing of the contact. Beach at bats, especially in game two and somewhat in game one, just counted for more. They had the timing, they made the hit when they had to, and they were able to take those first two wins as a result. Sunday, it turned around. Mississippi State showed some clutch hitting and some clutch eyes at the plate. They worked some walks in that game three that really got to that third starter for Long Beach State. So, offensively, very frustrating, especially the second half of the order. Um, even some of the good hitting stats from Saturday were a little deceiving because they'd be kind of scratch singles or um, plays that balls weren't particularly well hit. They just managed to reach base. There just wasn't that much good contact the first two days. That's the worrying thing about this lineup. Shocking? No. Not even surprising because you could look at the preseason statistics that Gene provided, and uh, again, not gospel, but kind of a clue that maybe some things weren't happening with the bats in preseason. Now, again, Bulldog pitching is going to be good this year. Could be very, very good this year. Still, you're worried about the batting getting going in the early season on the home field with a great big crowd. Oh, let's also give credit to the crowd. I started putting the numbers together as early as Saturday afternoon, and I had even written most of my Sunday story before Game 3 started, expecting the crowd to top 10,000 again, which it did. And Mississippi State set an all-time opening weekend record for attendance with over 34,000. Okay, there have been weekends that drew more, but that was back when John Cohen was playing those round-robin four-game in three-day series. So qualify this. Here's a better measure. The crowds that turned out to watch the Diamond Dogs open the 22 season and defend their national champion 
it was about 150 more than what showed up to watch the Ole Miss series last year in the regular season. That gives you an idea. And again, this was February weather, too. You can tell the pent-up enthusiasm to once again celebrate that championship was there and the curiosity to see what the defense team is going to look like. Speaking of defense, it was pretty good. Not a whole lot of errors. No really blatant misplays in the field. Uh, so you think you have the makings there. But where is the batting going to come from? Okay. Chris Lamonis has already shown he's willing to make changes that aren't just experiments. I think I could go so many different directions on this, but I'm just going to focus on two separate things. The first was taking R.J. Yeager, who we knew was going to be the leadoff batter coming into the season. I mean, the transfer from Mercer had the best averages by far in fall and preseason. He was making great contact, even hitting for power at times, and he certainly hit for power at Mercer. He didn't get his first hit as a Bulldog until Sunday, and that took a scratch single. He just did not have the opening we had expected, and by Sunday he'd been moved down to the middle of the order. Cameron James, who was hitting in the second slot, moved up to first. That goes against your conventional wisdom of what you want in a leadoff guy. You generally do not want a power guy, an RBI producer, swinging first in the order. You want somebody who's just going to get on base. Well, at this point, Mississippi State wants somebody who's just going to get on base priority. There's no Jake Mangum or Rowdy Jordan walking through the door right now, although there may be a guy or two that got some late swings this weekend who could fill that role. It's just yet to be seen. At this point, James is probably going to be your leadoff guy for a while, and even though he's a power hitter, he also hits for contact. He reached in a couple of infield singles this weekend as well, and he certainly can run the bases. Uh, he was kind of key in Sunday's game by getting on then stealing a base as well. So it's kind of a compromise at that position, and I had this discussion with our colleague Mike Nemeth also. Sometimes we read too much into things like leadoff or cleanup because – after the first times of the order, they're not coming up in the same sequence like that. But then again, how many times does your leadoff guy get up? The most of anyone. And right now, Cameron James is the guy you probably want getting up there the most often. And you want him setting the plate for guys like Luke Hancock and Logan Tanner. So we'll see what they do in midweek if that game gets played, and certainly this weekend against Eastern Kentucky as well. But at this point, it looks like they want to go in that direction. Uh, the other change I want to talk about among many is center field. Braylon Skinner just struggled. Now, not a big shock there. It was always going to be iffy if he was going to be a productive hitter this senior season. That's why they had him in the eight slot, both games he did start. But Matt Corder, who subbed in and got to do some DHing, also got to start on Sunday. Well, he responded with the first home run of the season, and was it ever a homer? I think that ball has finally been traced down somewhere in the uh, parking lot behind the football practice field. He crushed it. The Heinz Junior College transfer, he didn't come here to hit home runs, but boy, did he lay into that one. And the grin he had in postgame talking about it just told the tale there that he is excited to get the chance, not just to bat, but to play center field. They moved him into center. And then late in the game, another move of interest. Um, won't go so deep into this. Kellum Clark, he did struggle all preseason, and he's hitless so far in the first two and a half games he's played. Drew McGowan got subbed in late there. He did get a base hit as a right fielder, so perhaps we can see a change coming there. If nothing else, just to give Clark a chance to settle down and refocus himself. But Lamonis, you know, he may not be pulling his lineups out of a hat, but he and Jake Gotro are putting together the best lineup they can figure out 
to get some guys in there to get the offense going. I, I think, and this is just me thinking out loud, I'm thinking that they will probably do less experimenting in February than Diamond Dog teams are used to because they now get, need to get some guys out there and get some confidence. And Lamonis made a comment today, too, you know, sounding so much like a football coach. He says, well, you improve most from game one to game two. He said it. A baseball team should improve most from week one to week two. And especially they wanted to get especially a game in this Tuesday with Arkansas Pine Bluff. As of this point, when we're recording the show, that game looks very iffy. It's scheduled for early afternoon. They may move it around, so stay alert on that because weather is coming through. It's going to rain Monday for sure here in Startville. Looks like more rain coming also on Tuesday. They really want to get that game in for a variety of reasons. First, get more guys up there to swing the stick. Admittedly, the pitching they'll see will be nothing at all like what Long Beach State threw, much less what they'll see come SEC season. But guys just have to get up to the plate, see a real pitch from somebody they don't know, and swing at it, try to make contact, try to drive it, try to run the bases. You've got to start building some confidence now ahead of SEC season, which it seems like is a long time away in mid-March. It's really not. It's racing down on them. The Eastern Kentucky series this weekend is another chance, obviously, to get some of that done as well. So we'll be watching closely to see what the lineups look like. As far as pitching, there may be a lineup change there, too. <laughs> Certainly if fans had their vote, Cade Smith would already be number two and in some minds maybe even competing for that number one spot. Although Landon Sims was awesome on Friday night. If not for one mislocated pitch when he started losing a little gas there in his last inning that ended up just over the right field fence, he's throwing a shutout after his seven innings with 13 strikeouts and zero walks. And here's the best part about that. He only used his fastball. Okay, he threw a few other things in there, but as he said post-game, he really didn't go with his changeup or his slider, two other pitches that he has shown in preseason. Those who've been able to watch practice say, yeah, they're legit. So think about it. If all you're scouting is his fastball right now, which is all you saw in the first game as well all his work last year as a closer, what's it going to be like when Lando walks out there and starts throwing breaking stuff? or start changing his pace. He looked every bit an ace on the mound, starting a game where he'd been an ace closer, now an ace starter. What a transition. I mean, I'm one of those who was a little hesitant because I certainly like the idea of having him coming out of the bullpen twice a weekend, but if he's going to get you a start off on Friday like that, it's worth it assuming the offense comes along to back him up. Because remember, it's going to be ace on ace, and Sims can't score runs for his team. We always keep coming back to offense, don't we? Um, but Cade Smith looked really good. Plus, and uh, this is purely personal, from a sports writer standpoint, we love him because he works fast. That's just his aggressive attitude. He was getting up there, rock and throw, rock and throw. You know, get in the, get in the box and let me throw a strike past you. Good game there. Now, Casey Hunt. He had a really good preseason, again, against this batting order, but still, he was throwing strikes against Bulldog batters. He threw some strikes yesterday. He struck out guys, but he didn't finish off some batters, and once he got higher in the counts, uh, some of those close calls weren't going his way. That's not a comment on umpiring. That's just a comment on the location in his early season work there. So do you leave him in the two slot, or do you, say, move Smith up to Saturday and put Hunt on Sunday? At this point, I don't think it truly matters. And by the way, I've been around long enough, and John Cohen will appreciate this too. 
some of us still remember fondly the Pat McMahon philosophy of pitching. Put your best guy in game two because that way either he clinches a series in game two or he saves the series in game two for you. I don't foresee that happening with Scott Foxhall, who likes to put his big gun out there immediately to match best on best, but it is something to have fun considering. And so let the second guessing continue about the offense, about what's happening with the pitching there. The release staff, up and down, Preston Johnson had his moments, uh, but uh, Parker Stinnett, who by all counts had a really good preseason, didn't look good in his short stint on Friday. And some other guys, really mixed results out there against a Long Beach order that was pesky, that made good contact. Those are guys who really need to throw some on Tuesday and get in some work this weekend. If the offense can get out there, put some runs up, get the starting pitching, some just enough support so they can cruise through half the game, then start working some people in. Does that sound like I'm already making a plan for the coach? I apologize. You know, that's why he's getting paid to coach it. I'm not. So was it the opening they wanted? Not at all. And we've also learned never to read too much into opening weekends as well. But uh, still, that's a dog team who's going to get better this season. We're counting on that as guys mature, guys find their roles, and as teams get, teammates get comfortable with teammates. That's always a factor too. So even if they didn't start the season out the way they wanted, it's still a long season. And who knows, maybe Lamonis' club will be on what now is called Schwab Field for the final out of 2022, just as they were for the final out last summer in what was TD Ameritrade Park. <laughs> it's getting to where you can't tell the ballparks anymore without a sponsor these days, it seems. All right, Overreaction Monday. David Murray here talking about Bulldog baseball, and it's time to change the pace. It's time for talk about Ben Howland's Bulldogs. We have just about written them off, as you can tell from our previous dog houses. Well, that was a dangerous thing to do because we knew they were playing a beatable Missouri team, and they whipped them pretty good on Friday in Humphrey Coliseum. Last night's win in Columbia was exactly what they needed, not just because it was a W, and that's all it that matters, truly. But they won, A, they won an ugly game. Second, they won their first road game of the season, especially SEC road game. And thirdly, they did it the tough way. They made the plays at the very end of the game. It was an ugly game. You know, whether on the court or on the stat sheet, that was an ugly game. And Ben Howland said he expected it to be that way, playing a second time in 72 hours. Neither side shot well. Both teams were physical. Both missed chances from the field and even the free throw line to put things away. But with the Bulldogs playing this must-win matchup, the W looks gorgeous because Iverson Molinar comes up big. You know, he's had a little rough stretch here in February where some of his late-game shots just haven't been there. Well, he made it happen today. And then State's defense forces Missouri to take a really rotten shot, come down with a rebound. Shaquille Moore goes end-to-end, makes a tough layup under pressure for a two-point lead. Okay, he misses the foul shot, but inside 10 seconds, Missouri does not get a good shot off. They lock down. They don't foul. And they come home with a two-point win from Columbia. And Ben Howland's post-game quote was, this was one to relish because we've been searching for this road win for a long time. And he even offered quite a lot of post-game gratitude to the Almighty, showing uh, the stress that's been on the coach and the staff and the team during this stretch where they just could not make that play when they had to make a play to win on the road or even at home. So now, 
16-11 overall. They're back to break even in SEC play with four games left and kind of bubbling back into the postseason conversations. No wonder they relish it, and Holland joked about how the flight home last night was going to be a lot more fun. Well, heaven knows the Bulldogs wanted to complete this sweep, and they proved they can win from Hunt Coliseum. They've been close, so very close. Now they get to go to South Carolina, a team that is playing much better now, and in a tough place in Colonial Life Center. I will be there, um, be driving over to Columbia to cover the Bulldogs in that game. And that's going to be key, too, because State needs to sweep these four winnable games. That's the title I put on it, but two with Missouri at South Carolina and then against Vanderbilt. You win those four. If you concede the Auburn game, and who isn't at this point, then it comes down to a trip to Texas A&M. Until they won this road game, you're thinking, nope, no chance. Now they have a chance. They they feel like they have a chance. As as Shaquille Moore said in postgame, they have faith in each other, and we hope to close out the season with a bang, by which he meant the regular season. State still has a chance, look at it, to win 20 regular season games, to finish probably three games, certainly two games over 500 SEC if they just take care of business and don't stumble anywhere except Auburn. And, all right, maybe one road game there. But still, you want to run this out. You do that. You finish a, you, you finish with an 11-8 and eight SEC record, and with 20 wins overall, you are definitely back in the NCAA picture. And that's for a team that, again, a week ago, we were just about riding off. They played good defense again. They played good defense when they had to play good defense, and that's something that's been missing in recent games as well. They played hard. Moore is starting to get his game back, which is something State really, really needs as perimeter offense. Uh, a couple of shot selections you can still question there during the course of the game, and sometimes I still wonder about using Garrison Brooks out at the three-point line as much as he stays there, or D.J. Jeffries for that matter, when their mid-game could really dominate against some of these teams. Okay, that's all nitpicking by an observer. State won a road game. They're back in the picture. They still have a long way to go and practically have almost no margin for error at this point. I think I wrote in my story today, uh, the margins are almost invisible now. I'm not saying they have to win out because, again, we're conceding the Auburn game. But if you do take care of every game but that, and who knows, Auburn has been beatable lately. If you can pull those off and get into the SEC tournament at the magic 21 mark, I don't know what your seeding will be. That's Again, that's going to depend on what else happens. But if you're in the top half of the conference and get a favorable seeding, you've got the chance that Howland mentioned the other night to make a run in Tampa. You make a run in Tampa, all of those are going to be quality wins, some even quad one wins, of which State really needs. They've got one over Arkansas, one over Alabama at this point. Had a chance against Alabama for another one. Didn't pull it off. Auburn, of course, is a quad one. Uh, Texas A&M is up in there as well. We don't know what they'll be ranked by the time State plays, but you've got a chance for a quality win there as well. You start piling it up, and you definitely shove yourself into the conversation, not where the selection committee has to look at you and find reasons to say yes. You want to force them to find reasons to say no. And Howland is beginning to make that case for this club here in the late season stretch. Again, a long way to go in a short time to get there, as the song goes. But they have their chance, and that's all you can really ask for at this point. So that's our Monday morning overreaction here from the Doghouse. We'll be talking again later this week after the trip to Columbia. And 
Keep your eyes on the weather, obviously. Mississippi State will be announcing any updates or cancellations as far as Tuesday's game with Arkansas Pine Bluff. By the way, that game cannot be rescheduled, Coach Lamona said. The team is driving in from New Orleans in their own opening weekend, so they will not be able to stay over and play on Wednesday. At least that was the thinking as of Sunday afternoon. Stay tuned to that. We'll keep you informed of all the changes there. And... It's baseball season. Eastern Kentucky coming to town this weekend. The times have not been set on Hale State yet, so stay tuned to that also. A lot has to do with basketball and weather and all sorts of things this time of year. That's part of the fun of being flexible. But the Bulldogs have begun their season. The basketball Bulldogs are coming down the stretch of their season, and we've got a whole lot to talk about, and we will here on the Doghouse, part of the Believe.com podcast network. This is your host, David Murray, saying, Let's just get through Monday the best we can. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.